Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Rock Hill. Welcome to Church at Home. I'm excited to be here with you. Well, not really here, but you know what I mean. Um, And share with you a story that has become really rich for me over this last month. Um, And that is the story of Jesus turning water into grape juice. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's wine, I know. But, um, you know, this is a story that we're all probably very familiar with. And if I'm honest, it's a story that for a long time didn't have a lot of significance for me personally. I think because it doesn't have like the splashiness of um, Jesus raising people from the dead or driving out demons or healing um, the blind, you know. Um, It doesn't seem that important compared to these other stories, if I'm honest. Um, And I think if we, um, you know, just go based on our understanding of it kind of from from the past, it's very easy to take just a very superficial view of this story. Um, Maybe take it as a story of like Jesus being a partier or caring about the little details of people's lives. I think those are the the types of things that I thought about this story in the past. Um, So because of our familiarity with it, I kind of wanted to approach it in a slightly different way. You know, on a Sunday morning, we typically get out our Bible. I'd read you directly from scripture But for today, I would love for you to just listen to me tell it. Um, And if you, if it is very important for you to get out the word, we're going to be in John um, 2, 1 through 11, basically. Um, And you're welcome to do that as well. If not, I would definitely invite you just to to listen and engage your imagination and take it all in. Um, So one important key bit of information I want us to keep in mind as we're headed into this passage is that John calls this the first sign of Jesus. Um, So John is a little bit different. If you listen to the podcast, you know John is a little bit different than the other Gospels that have kind of miracle after miracle after miracle. John chooses just seven signs to include in his book. And he tells us in John 20, 31, that the purpose of these signs that he chose was so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing um, we would have life in his name. Um, So from the outset, we're looking at this story as a sign. And as with any sign, you're thinking about what does it point to? It's not the destination. It's to reveal a deeper, more important truth to us. And so, although this is a a real historical story from the life of Jesus as a sign, um, we can be thinking about and considering um, what are the more significant truths as well that this sign teaches us about who Jesus is. So the setting is a wedding in Cana of Galilee, a small town about six or seven miles, they think, um, northeast of Nazareth, where Nazareth, um, Jesus' hometown. And um, when you think of a wedding, I don't want you to a picture like our normal middle America wedding, you know, that's like two hours on a Saturday afternoon, strategically timed so that you don't have to feed people. Um, Weddings at this time, and in fact, in a lot of cultures in the world today, were week-long affairs um, with lots of um, feasting and celebration um, and 
you know, wine was actually a significant part of that celebration. And I think this is kind of a little bit hard for us to understand because for a lot of us, especially here in Kansas, you know, wine comes from like a box <laughs> from the store. Um, but wine in this culture um, was seen as very significant. So if you think of, you know, times that we see wine in the Old Testament, it appears um, as a sign of God's bless, blessing uh, on a people. Um, so we see this um, a few times, in, like many, many times actually in the Old Testament, um, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, Deuteronomy 7, 13 are examples of this, um, where God blesses his people's obedience um, by allowing or causing their, their crops to prosper. Um, and having an abundance of wine is a symbol of that. Um, and in contrast, on the other end of the spectrum, um, we see God cursing people repeatedly by causing their wine presses to dry up. Um, so their crops aren't growing or perhaps their crops grow and invaders come in and, and steal them. Um, so you've got an abundance of wine showing prosperity, a lack of wine showing cursing. Um, and if we move into the New Testament, times when we see wine, of course, like this is more familiar with us as Christians because um, we're familiar with the Lord's Supper. So Jesus uses wine as a symbol of his blood poured out in sacrifice for us. Um, so I'd like you to keep that kind of in that information in the back of your mind as we move forward. Um, and the other thing I want to say is this. I realize that running out of wine probably doesn't seem like a big deal to you or me. We just drink something else, right? Um, but in this culture, in this hospitality culture especially, um, this was a big deal. Um, and so if it helps you, I'd encourage you to think about, you know, a time when you have encountered that feeling of not enoughness. All of us have encountered that feeling of lack or shame. Maybe it's not being enough. Maybe it's not having enough or doing enough. We all know the shame or the humiliation of, of not enoughness. Um, and you take that same feeling and you set it on the stage in front of all of your family and friends. And you're beginning to get at um, the level of humiliation and shame wrapped up in this story. Okay, so whew, now that we got all the background out of the way, let's step into the story. Um, and the scene opens with um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus and the disciples invited to this wedding in Cana. And we see Mary approach Jesus and inform him they're out of wine. Um, and so we don't know exactly why she knows that or how she's involved, but she seems to be reporting this to Jesus because she expects him to do something, right? And so... Um, Jesus has kind of an odd response. I always thought he says, you know, woman, basically, what does that got to do with me? Um, my hour has not yet come. Um, so you could interpret this, I think, harshly, but I kind of wonder, considering how Mary um, reacts or responds in that situation, did he say it with like a little bit of a twinkle in his eye, you know? Um, so he says, you know, what's that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Um, and Mary's response is, you know, she clearly interprets that he's going to do something. And she turns to the servants and she says, um, I want you to do whatever he, do whatever he tells you to do. Um, and so Jesus, um, you know, apparently there are these um, 
large stone pots for water purification, right, standing close by. There's six of them. Each holds about 20 to 30 gallons. Um, and this is an interesting detail. Honestly, I'd never really sat with much before. So Jewish culture and Jewish custom passed down this tradition of um, purification, especially before eating. Um, so we see this in Mark 7. We see Jesus' disciples actually get criticized for not partaking in these ritual washings. Um, and many, um, many religions, Islam, Hinduism, do this today. So if you go into a, a Hindu temple, for example, you'll need to wash your hands and your feet. Um, and so in Jewish culture, this was a part of culture to wash away your sins. You get this picture of human efforts of cleansing and purifying themselves, right? Um, so these are the, the water pots that Jesus is, is referring to. So he tells them to fill up these water pots and these servants fill these pots to the brim. Um, and then Jesus tells them to take out a cup and bring it to the master of the banquet. Um, and so when the master of the banquet takes this cup, and John is such a great storyteller, right? So the master of the banquet takes this cup and he tastes a little taste. He's amazed that, um, and he calls the bridegroom and he says, you know, most people set out the good wine first. Um, and then when everyone else has drunk and can't tell the difference, um, they put out the cheap stuff, but you have saved the best for last. And so I love this imagery. So remember, we're talking about these water purification pots and Jesus takes this, you know, this water meant for purifying ourselves and um, he changes it to wine, this rich image of his sacrifice to purify us. Um, and then not just does he change it to wine, but he changes it to the best wine um, and a boatload of it. Um, so if you actually do the math on this, you've got six pots with 20 to 30 gallons. Um, we're talking at least 120 gallons of wine. Um, that is over 600, probably 600 to 900 standard bottles of wine. Um, and so Jesus steps into this moment of humiliation and need and lack, and he meets the moment in the most extraordinary way um, by exceeding their expectations um, immeasurably more than they could have asked for or imagined. Um, and so I, you know, I love the rich imagery of this story um, and then how it ends. Um, you know, John says this, this was the first sign of Jesus at this wedding and he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. So why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? God of abundance, we are a people prone to fixate on our lack and prone to seek our own solutions. Just as the disciples witnessed this sign, saw your glory and believed, will you reveal your glory to us today through your word? Encourage our hearts to ask boldly for your provision, obey in what you ask us to do, 
and wait in anticipation for you to reveal your glory by doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask for or imagine. Amen.